Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are starting today's episode very quickly. Not much to really talk about as what's going on in Brown's world, uh, as it should be. It should be pretty quiet right now. Only really a couple pieces of noteworthy news since the last time I've talked to you guys. Kwesi uh, Adolfo Mensa does appear. It's not does appear. It is official. He is the GM of the Minnesota Vikings, so your Cleveland Browns will have two additional third-round picks, one this year, one next year. More than likely... Uh, will be at the end of the third round as the compensatory picks work out that way. I believe David Culley uh, with uh, Baltimore, leaving Baltimore, that's where their pick was last year uh, when he was hired as a Houston Texas head, uh, Texans head coach. So that's my best guess for where it will be. We'll see what the Browns do with it this year, but that's an exciting piece of news on an unfortunate event. And if uh, losing Questy, if you if you should go really, really listen to his uh, in- interview and our Brad Stainbrook did a nice job putting some quotes from his welcome interview with a uh, um, press conference there with the Vikings and all the great things he said about Andrew Barry and the rock star that Andrew Barry is that should still leave you feeling pretty encouraged. So check that out. Otherwise, uh, pretty quiet. A lot of quarterback articles being written about players that the, the Browns should go out and get. We've done that all this week. We've, uh, If you have not listened lately, we did. Just uh, just yesterday, Matt Wallman was on. We broke down Baker Mayfield's scouting report from his college to NFL days, and if he has improved on those things, we covered so much. The day before that with Jordan Zerm, we did almost like a Baker Mayfield would-you-rather scenario, have this quarterback or him, and here are the names on the market through free agency or trade, and here's the status of that player heading into this year. Could Baker coincide with him? Could he not? And would you rather have Baker Mayfield than some of those guys? So go back and check that out if you haven't. Those are covering a lot of different quarterback things. I have this podcast today, another for you over the weekend, and that's it. We're done. I'm done talking about Mayfield until some decision is made about what they do at the quarterback position. So tomorrow we'll have Corey Kennan talking about draft prospects of interest for this year, um, maybe mid-round guys that would be uh, noteworthy. So Uh, We'll have that over the weekend for your bonus content. But today, uh, otherwise, Brown stuff, Miles Garrett did a shirtless photo shoot and he got tested for, you know, the NFL's substance abuse policy, whatever. It's like normal for him. It's uh, it's laughable, but normal for him. So he should he should not he should not do that, I guess. He should not be himself because the NFL will test him. Otherwise, what we're going to do today is have an interesting look at. If Baker Mayfield can salvage his, his time in Cleveland and kind of psychoanalyze a lot of stuff around him as a as a person, how he handles the media, how he handles himself, how he handles the best version of Baker Mayfield going forward, I have a great guest for you, and I'm excited to share this point because the, the, there's been a lot of discussion about keeping Baker, letting him go. This is more just looking at Baker the person, which was an angle that I wanted to take with somebody, and the guest, I think, aligned perfectly with it, so... Uh, I hope you do enjoy it. Let's get over to that interview with Nicole, uh, who is at Browns underscore babe on Twitter. She is, uh, it's great. It's a great conversation. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Let's get there now. All right. Transitioning over to our guest today. I'm excited to bring on, we've been trying to get this thing right, Nicole, for a while, like meshing schedules and stuff. You know, it's weird. Two people who live in Columbus and can't quite figure out the, uh, the schedule to get together, but I'm excited to have Nicole on. She's at Browns underscore babe on Twitter. 
She has a fantastic podcast she does with Pete Smith called For Pete's Sake, and you should check it out. Nicole, I'm excited to have you on the show. How are you? I'm great. I'm super excited. We have been trying to put this together for a really long time. Um, and so I'm really excited that we're finally able to do it, despite the fact that we didn't quite hit the season. But that's okay. Yeah, I, t- I told my wife who does who does your hair that like we need to set this up where we can do she's uh, organizing something doing your hair and we can also podcast simultaneously so that you can get the full the full effect of the burn side of things here. But yeah, we worked it out. We're going to talk some Baker today. Uh, I know this comes as a shock to everybody listening. We're going to talk about this Browns quarterback. But what I wanted to do is you and I have shared a couple DMs kind of talking about about two super unprofessional psycho analyzing people talking about the mental side of things with with Baker and and sort of the media dealings and and where it's all like my point Nicole has been that okay if if we and you've made some good points to me there are people in the Cleveland realm of coverage I'm going to say it that way like realm of coverage instead of the media that that clearly are not uh let me put it gently uh careful with their words uh, are really leveled with their approach. And I understand that with the modern cycle of news and how you get people interested in your comment or your story or your write-up is to take extreme stances on things. I'm not immune to that effect. Like it's swept journalism for the last, I don't know, 15 years now, 10, 15 years, as long as social has come around. So you have seen people say that they would eat poop. Uh, horse poop. You've seen people say the quarterback's an effing midget. There have been examples of terrible things said by folks who cover the Browns and most recently uh, by a radio host up there who kind of bluntly called him out to his like uh, whatever some bravado and I'd say it to his face. He sucks. Whatever. The issue for me is where do we go from here? Okay. I've said it earlier this week on the pod that if 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 Baker can't handle the way they approach it, because it's clear to me, Nicole, that the Browns group of people that are a problem up there are not going anywhere. They have done things to me that would have told me maybe this job isn't great for you, but they keep the, they keep the job. They keep going. They're a part of it. They're not going to change. So is it possible for Baker Mayfield, as we saw him say, he's leaving social media for the foreseeable future just yesterday to just not be a part of it, to not like tweets, to, uh, not snap at somebody in the locker room when they ask a dumb, que- what do you call it, a clown question or a dumb question. I'm not sure. It was a couple of years back in 19. Can he ever rise above that? Or is it an unfair thing to ask him to rise above it? That's where I think it's not. There's clearly a problem. Is Who's going to be a part of the solution? And I, I'm interested in your perspective on that from him. Yeah. So I th- I think there's a lot to unpack there. Like, I think the first piece is, and, and I think you know this, that I agree with you that it's, it's supremely unfair to kind of like lump everyone in the quote unquote media um, together when it, it comes to this stuff. Um, first of all, I, I don't even know how we're defining media. So I understand like you don't even like to use that word because like, are we talking about podcasters? Are we talking about bloggers? Are we talking about newspaper reporters? Are we talking about radio guys? Are we talking about national people or just local people. Like, I think it's just, it's too big and it's too broad to kind of like lump everyone in altogether. But for sure, there is a trend and this is actually a trend in big M media, right? That there are Mm -hmm. certain people who have decided that they can get engagement, they can get clicks, they can, and therefore they can sell ad space. 
by, you know, attention, essentially being like shock jocks, right? They've like taken, it's like taking Howard Stern and putting it in sports media, right? And, and so that's like the path they've gone down and it's been highly lucrative for them, right? And this isn't even like necessarily a criticism, you know, this is just a an acknowledgement that like people have made a decision about what is profitable for them and what is best for their career. And then that's the path that they've chosen to go down. The reason I'm going into this is just to say, I don't think we're ever going to see that change. So if like to answer maybe the first piece of your question is, is that going to change so that at some point, like, Baker or any athlete isn't getting kind of poked and prodded um, by people like this over the course of their career, and in, and particularly when they're struggling. No, it's it's not going to change. It is just it's a reality of the you know of the landscape that we're in, and so that kind of brings you around right to is there like one particular way that an athlete should deal with that? And I don't, I, this, I don't even think the answer to that is necessarily yes, right? Like, I don't think there's necessarily like one answer and every athlete should like follow, you know, a particular path. I, and I also kind of think that would actually be boring, right? At the same time, I think each athlete, and I think Baker in particular, whatever he decides to do moving forward on this issue needs to be the answer to the question, what is going to help me be the best version of myself? And so, and what my concern is, and when you and I have talked, we've talked about this, is I don't know if that's the question he's asking, right? So maybe last night when he said, hey, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to get off social media. I'm going to spend time with my friends and family. And this is what I'm going to do. Maybe that's the first step right? Like maybe that's the first step to answering the question, like, what do I need to do in order to be the best version of myself? And that's like, that's the best quarterback version of himself, but that's also just like the best human version of himself, right? Like, I don't like when we act like athletes are just athletes and they're not also humans. So, you know, I I want to be optimistic that this is him asking that question and taking an action that is, you know, moving in that direction. But I will say, like, I have a level of skepticism about it. It's not that he's never, you know, quote unquote, backed away before um, and then just, you know, turned around and gotten re-caught up in it all over again. Um, But that's also not to say I expect him to, like, stay off social media forever, you know, or to never be cheeky with the media ever again, Right. Or, you know, I'm not asking him to be a completely different person. Baker is Baker. Um, And even the people that liked him the most, like coming out of college or, you know, some of the things that are really bothering people about him right now are actually things that when he was performing well are things that they, that amused them about Baker or that they enjoyed about Baker. So I don't know. I think the context is is important there too. Like I don't expect him to all of a sudden become a completely different, you know, a completely different person. But I do hope he's finally asking himself that question, which is like, what do I need to do for myself right now? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I would say this is a large point of why the other day I was I was talking about a comment Jeff Lloyd made about the media attacking him if he decided to to get the surgery, right? Attacking and questioning his toughness is 
we, we're having this conversation after the season. Think about all of the negativity, Nicole, that filtered in from week six on when it got really bad. His performance, you know, from from you know, from week two to week six wasn't good. And then it got worse for the most part, the rest of the way and animosity rose at the time. I don't recall much animosity at all last off season. It was conversations about going into the year. And even after the Kansas city game, like they should sign this guy, he should, they should sign an extension. I don't, you know, some people were like, I get it. I understand the patience of it. We need to see it again, but I'm telling you, you can call me crazy, but there was not much animosity. So if he would have shut it down because of the injury, that's why I'm a firm believer that nobody would have been saying anything and the complete outlook of him would be different because he didn't play throughout the year and there would just be, well, he gets surgery, he comes back and you know, we'll see what it looks like this year when he comes back, the same sort of expectations as he came into this year. But we know the damage, the scar tissue that was gathered throughout the season Everybody was getting chippy from both sides, the Odell drama, the shoulder drama, the I'm playing, if I say I'm playing type of stuff that all went down in the performance slide. You missed the playoffs. So, of course, at the end of the year, when things are being written about potential replacements and people looking at the market, you know, when you may not want to hear that after the Andrew Berry press conference, you're going to think that that people would have written negative things about him about the toughness thing. So that's a big part of what I'm talking about is like where the media shifted stuff, the capital M media shifted on him collectively is this year. So that's been the biggest shift. And it's like, to me, if Baker and you're talking about some of the chirpiness from 19 and stuff, if he can't handle the low stuff, which is the, the years that don't go well, I get concerned because it's, it's rough in Cleveland, you know, to an extent, but it's rough everywhere. I think there are reporters who, who are, uh, very forward about about player performance and player value and player movement across the country. I don't think it's an isolated Cleveland thing. I think that things have uh, perpetual, uh, not, not, maybe not that's not the right word, but like manifested into this gross version because of the 20 years of suffering we've seen since 1999, where it's like you need a few years of really good teams to break that up, right? But this version of the media isn't changing. So that's why my question is, geared towards is there a version of him that can just ignore that stuff because to me and you can correct me if i'm wrong here i don't think there's a great path forward in cleveland for him if he cannot just block all of that stuff out i just with the climate of where it is for him right now and where it's going until he puts together two three four good seasons in a row whether that's here or somewhere else there are going to be people that have doubts against him and are going to put them out there in the public. And if he can't mentally just ignore it, I do have concerns whether he can handle playing in the NFL with the thing, the noise that comes with it. That's a concern for me. Yeah. So I, so a couple of things, I agree with you that if like, if he had gone out in the Texans game, when the injury happened, and he had not come back in. And at the end of the game, we had found out that he had torn his labrum. And then that week it had been announced that he was having surgery and he would be back the following season. I 100% agree with you that I don't think there would have been negativity. The The tough thing about that is I think, I, I think when he actually first did come back in, People were just amazed with the toughness. And I think there was a lot of actual grace for him for a little while after that. There was also some good plays still at various times after that. And then you actually had the bone 
you know, the bone break and you had the, you know, the foot injury and the groin and like, and it, the injuries kept piling on and the play kept getting worse. Like, I think if after the Watt injury, which looked terrible, that looked terrible. If he would have been done, people would have been like, okay, he tried to gut it out for weeks two through six. He took a nasty injury on that shoulder again. I just don't understand how you could think that people were going to write toughness question mark type of stories. I guess you could, but that's where I think right now people are so low on him across the spectrum here that it's easy for people as we sit here in January to say that because right now everything Baker Mayfield is being scrutinized, but you got to go back to where we were, Nicole. Nobody was doing that at that point. There was still a lot of love for him when that whole thing was going on, even up to the week six. I'll give it back to you. I didn't mean to, to interrupt too much, but like that's my general point. And I think we're at this point now where it's nastier than ever. And I'm really concerned about the mental space of Baker coming back from it. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think there was a shift at some point. Um, but I think what's, what's tough is like, I mean, I guess this is, this is hundred percent to your point. Like hindsight is 2020, mm-hmm. right? That's true from the perspective of, well, actually, if he would have just shut it down, like right away, um, you know, he would have never run into a lot of the criticism that he got. That's probably, that's probably true. Um, But it's also true to the extent of like, there was a point at which the narrative shifted from this kid is gutting it out and he's trying so hard and you can tell he is being hampered by this and we feel bad and this isn't going the way we wanted it to. And it sucks to, you're hurting the team and we're frustrated at you. And looking back on it, we can see kind of where that moment was, but I don't know if the team or him knew where that moment was while it was happening. Right. I would say that the team, the feeling around it started to shift when he like was just very vocal about, I know when I'm hurting the team, I wouldn't do that. I determine when I play, I think that statement Instead of being like, hey, I work with the doctors, I work with Coach Stefanski, we all sit down, we all come to a decision, it almost turned into the chippiness side where he was saying he's in control of it, he determines when he plays. I think that's when it shifted, but you can, again, if you disagree, feel free to tell me. I thought that was the point where people were like, this guy's doing this on his own, like almost almost trying to to, to make this decision on his own and is is hurting the team and then like lines started to get blurred between is the team not putting him in out there the t- the team shouldn't be putting him out there he's deciding to go out there on his own essentially with maybe the doctors are backing it a little bit but like i thought that the level of animosity and this and people shifting from he's being really gutty and he's doing it to, to you know fighting through this to well we can't use the injury as an excuse and he's playing poorly and that sort of time and i'm not i'm not really clear on when that time was i think it was like I think it was like right after the, it was right before the Broncos game. I almost feel like when he was having those discussions with people about playing on a short week after Arizona or something like that, or right after the Broncos game. So I felt like that's when it shifted from like almost, uh, I don't know if the right compassion to blame, right? That's when I thought it shifted. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I guess for me, I think I think that you were already seeing his defensiveness in that answer. Mm-hmm. And like to be defensive, right? You have to be defensive of something. So I, I actually think the narrative had already started. I don't think it was necessarily at the, I mean, I know it wasn't at the point it's at right now, right? But I think it had already started to creep in. And like the also, also the reality, Jake, is like, we don't know, like, it's one thing to say, like, there were opinions about this in the media. We could see that, right? But we're not privy to, like, there could have been also conflicting opinions about this in the building, and that could have been causing, like, a level of defensiveness for him already. So I don't know. I guess my whole point there just in general is to say, like, I think it's it's too easy on both sides to say, like, looking backwards, um, like, this is the exact moment when, like, outside of that day when he got injured, right? Like, it's really hard to go back and say, like, this was the moment where the narrative shifted. And if he had just shut it down, like, five minutes before that, he probably would have been in the clear. I think it's, like, it's really easy to kind of see that in hindsight. And it was probably a lot harder to discern that in the moment. But I think the thing is, ultimately, so much focus, like we spent the whole season kind of doing that, right? Like kind of arguing amongst ourselves about when it was that he should have shut it down and when it was that things went really went off the rails, et cetera, et cetera. And like, that was fine. Like, I, I don't like to pretend that we don't all do this for fun. Like, it's so funny to me when people like complain about the fact that we like debate this stuff and analyze this stuff and argue about this stuff. Like, I mean, it's not cool when people are actually mean to each other, but like, it's fun to do this, right? It's fun to sit around and talk about this. We like to talk about football. We like to debate and analyze and and talk about football. But at some point we have to say like, the 2021 season is over. And so I think you're asking the right question, which is going forward, like, does, does this like approach have to change? And I will actually say like, I don't know if it does. And I don't, you know, for anybody that is a cross listener here for, uh, you know, of our podcast for Pete's sake, like I say a lot on that podcast. Um, and, and, you know, I spent a lot of time like, uh, kind of talking with, uh, Pete this season about the fact that like, we talk a lot about what quote unquote good quarterbacks do, right? Like, good quarterbacks don't throw an interception on the game-winning drive, 
Well, that's silly because sure they do sometimes, right? Or like good quarterbacks don't let their team down in like XYZ way or, you know, whatever it is. But I think one of the things that has become a part of this narrative of what like what quote unquote good quarterbacks don't do is like good quarterbacks don't get defensive and chippy and they just ignore all of it and they don't respond to any of it and they just take care of their business. Well, I don't necessarily think that that's true, right? Like there are plenty of times where we can go back throughout the course of his career where people were questioning whether like Tom Brady was done and he got pretty chippy about it. But we don't we don't question that because then he came out and proved he wasn't done, right? Like mm-hmm. I distinctly remember a season in which the Green Bay Packers started off what 0 and 4 and Aaron Rodgers came out and told everybody to relax. And he was pretty chippy about it, but we forgot all about it because he came out and he performed, right? So I don't think the issue is like, does Baker have to never be chippy or never kind of be defensive or like never kind of get grouchy about this stuff? Because I actually think there's an argument to be made that like, well, and this is another thing that people talk about, right? That quote unquote good quarterbacks like hate losing more than they love winning, right? So if you really hate losing and it makes you really grumpy and you like, and that's, you know, what kind of motivates you. And I think we've seen Baker kind of be that, like, I am motivated by adversity, like chip on my shoulder guy. Like, I don't know if necessarily I need him to stop being that, or if it's realistic to think he's not going to be that, or even to think he has to not be that in order to be successful. I actually think the thing is, is he has to just go out and be successful. And if he goes out and is successful, Nobody cares anymore if he gets chippy sometimes, right? And yeah. nobody, nobody expects him to quote unquote, quote unquote, like ignore the noise. He can pretty much respond, say what he wants because it doesn't matter because he's winning football games. So, I mean, that's kind of where I am on that. Yeah, win, winning cares at all. I mean, there, there will never be the, the issues with uh, with people writing negative things don't happen. I mean, there can be some Jimmy Garoppolo type write ups this week where it's like, well, he's 34 and 15 or whatever his record is, but he's really not as good as you think he is. There can be some of that. But for the most part, yeah, if you're winning, your mood is better. Food tastes better. You know, it's the Case Keenum quote at the end of the year. Everything's better when you're winning. So, yeah, I mean, Baker playing well, would he can he can continue to be himself. There's no doubt about that. I mean, that part of it would never matter. And I think we've seen that, right? He's overcome it. At the end of 2020, they were in a pretty good spot with the media. Uh, at least I thought there was less of the stuff we're seeing and now in terms of animosity. But, you know, he's he's had these runs in the NFL. And the problem with, with Baker is the consistency stuff, right? I don't think that's a secret. He's had these these, these valleys and these, these peaks and how he handles the valleys is, is kind of a bit of the problem where he thinks he is uh, sort of owed respect that he doesn't get right. The chippiness part of that stuff comes in uh, that he, uh, you know, he'll find these tweets to like, or he'll find Colin Cowherd's comments to go after. And it's just clear that he doesn't handle that side of things very well. I think he handles when things go well, well, because everybody does, right? When things are good, you can do and say almost anything you want because you're playing well and you're winning. But the NFL, it's like you can't always do that unless you're some of these guys, you know, ones in Kansas City who consistently wins. But there's this uh, there's this element of if things are down, when things are going wrong, when things are going poorly, how do you handle yourself? How would you grade 
how he's done when he has not handled it well? And is there a path past it? Because I don't think maybe it does happen for him, Nicole. Maybe he does become this beacon of consistency and, and catapults himself into a consistent top 10 quarterback. But I even th- I just think the best version of Baker Mayfield is floating in the Kirk Cousins realm. And with that doesn't come as much success as I think people want to avoid animosity with him. You know, even when people talk about Kirk, there's some negative comments and some of these guys don't have social media. So you don't see these issues, but Baker is the most online quarterback. You know, he's very online. And even if he's trying to shut it off, it's hard to see him. Like you said, disappear forever. Can he find a way now turning 27 this year, growing toward being a man, like a real man here, uh, a mature adult, a guy like can he get out of the funk of holding everything so personal with the territory that happens to come with losing where they're going to criticize you like can he ever turn the corner on that yeah i don't i guess i just i guess my thing is i i just view it as a different question and so first let me say this i don't think i know what baker's ceiling is there has been so much inconsistency not just from him, but from the circumstances surrounding him since he has been in the NFL that I don't know how to evaluate it. It's like, you know, I don't know, this is going to get science nerdy, right? But like, you can't run an experiment when you have 18 variables, because you can't test one variable to see if it's having an impact when there's a bunch of other moving parts, right? Like, cause it's hard to pinpoint like at the outcome of the experiment, what was the thing that caused the outcome? Well, I don't know. We changed 18 things during the course of the experiment. I don't know what caused the outcome, right? So like, I guess for me, I don't feel like I know if I know what, what Baker's ceiling is yet because of so many variables, right? Like changes in coaching, um, you know, and and I think the changes in coaching, like it sounds like one thing, but I actually think the changes in coaching had a lot of different impacts um, on him and based on the choices that the coaches made, based on like what we know about the areas where he wasn't super strong coming out of college, where we would have liked to see him improve. And like, has he actually had the opportunity to improve? Like, I think one of the biggest things there is around like how he handles um, pressure in the pocket. And like, that's an area that we needed to see him improve. But like between his second year and this year, there were so many offensive line, like kind of issues this year, a lot with injuries that like, I don't know, like, has he had the opportunity to really work on that thing in a consistent environment? Maybe you can say that consistent environment just doesn't exist in the NFL. And that just is what it is. But I guess for me, like, and then with his injuries personally too, right this year, like, I just, I don't know if I know what. Baker's ceiling is. But can he achieve whatever that is? Um, I don't think is a matter of, again, like, can he kind of quote unquote, like grow up and stop caring about people who say negative things? Because Baker Mayfield got like, destroyed when Ohio State came in and like, murdered Oklahoma his junior year and how did he respond to that he came out and destroyed Ohio State the next year and planted a flag in the middle of their field I know 
I was going to school. I was going to law school there at the time, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, like, can he take a lot of negative attention and, like, and actually turn it into a positive outcome? I think he can, but that is not at all what happened this season, right? Like, that negative attention that he was receiving this season had a completely different impact on him than, than you know, than scenarios we've seen in the past where negative attention actually fueled him towards progress. So, to me, the question is not, like, can he stop paying attention to the negative things? It's he's got to figure out what happened this season and why where in the past he's maybe been able to take negative attention and use it for good. Why this year, all of a sudden it just became this like really, you know, kind of intense downward spiral for him. Um, You know, and to some extent with that, like I legitimately think, like, and this is where we're going to get into the, like, completely, um, you know, I'm, like, in no way uh, properly trained to psychoanalyze anyone. But I will say this, like, I, I it came across to me this year, like, he was really hurting, Jake. Like, I think a lot of the stuff that happened this year, like, actually really hurt him. Um. He wants to be the hero. He he wants to be the savior. I don't have any doubt about that. And when more people than have ever turned on him in Cleveland started to turn on him, I I he looked sad. I think you're right. I think he he started to feel right where you could see it come across his his comments, his face, his emotions of just like uh like almost like his future was flashing before his eyes in Cleveland and maybe what he envisioned it being and where it's potentially going. I think you're right about that. I also think like, you know, the OBJ thing turned into such like a goofy thing with like the OBJ senior video and like, it was OBJ, it was Baker, like, you know, whatever. And like, I, and Pete and I actually talked about this on our podcast. Like, I think the thing we miss is like, they were friends. When, Baker did that press conference and he talked about the fact that he had reached out to OBJ multiple times after that whole thing went down and he hadn't heard back. Like, he sounded legitimately sad. Like, if I was good friends with someone and I went to work with them every day and I thought we were excited to work together and then I found out that actually they didn't want to work with me, but they never told me that. And then they just left. Like that would seriously screw with like my emotional well-being, my self-confidence. Like I can't imagine not being affected by that. So like, I actually think there were like, I also think I've been, I've had a, like a long-term injury before And I also know how much that can wear on you where like you think you take a step forward and then you end up taking two steps back and all you want to do is get back to being your old self. And it just like, it's not happening and it can get so frustrating to the point where it like, it literally wears you down and you start to feel kind of hopeless about it. Like, and he had to deal with all three of these things at the same time. Like I don't remotely question, let me just say this. I can't tell you how Baker was feeling. I don't know him. I'm not going to speak for him. But what I can do is tell you how I would feel if I were him this season. 
And I'd be a mess right now. I'd be in a lot of therapy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right about it's a crossroads for Baker right now uh, in terms of you're talking about therapy and and I what I would say is that his his career is at a crossroad in terms of where he goes from here. I think the signing off social media stuff is a cry for help, is a cry for like, I need to figure out what's important to me and what's not, uh, how I value myself. Because I, I, I said this on a pod with Matt Wallman yesterday, you know, like there's a level of self-awareness I think Baker Mayfield needs to figure out, not just as a, as a person off the field uh, in terms of what he what's important to him, what matters to him, because he's clearly driven by this idea that he's never good enough, right? He was never good enough. And he has to prove people all the time, prove, 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 prove I'm good enough. Well, eventually when you're taken first overall, you are good enough. And then it's a matter of figuring out how you become your best self, right? I know I no longer have people doubting me in terms of, uh, you know, everybody doubting me. If you're taken first in the draft, you're a unique human being, right? Like only so many people get that belief. So I get that he's reaching for straws and he's constantly trying to find the doubt, but eventually like, Hey man, you need to find happiness in the fact that you're pretty good, right? Find, find happiness in the fact that people have backed you to pick you first overall and just figure out how to be the best version of yourself. And I think that trickles onto the field where they need, where he needs to figure out the best version of himself on the field, right? He might not be the player that, that Pat Mahomes is and Josh Allen is. He's not, he's not that type of player. He's not, he's not there. He's not at their level physically gifted. He's not there. He won't be there. But there's still a version of Baker Mayfield that can be really good. But that takes a level of admitting, I need to be this version to be good. The NFL figures you out. The NFL tells you, eventually it tells you, hey, here's your path to being good. You can either take it or you can get out of this league. This is the path. It's been displayed to Baker Mayfield. He either is accepting to it or he's going to wash himself out. So there's a level of self-awareness off the field and on the field to the point of like, hey, if somebody asks Baker, you know, hey, are you as good as Pat and, and Josh? He might he might still say yes. He might. He might still believe in his mind he's as good or better than those guys. While, in fact, he should be answering it in a way that's different in terms of my opinion, where he would say, Something along the lines of, yeah, maybe I don't do uh, as many things as those guys do, but I still think I'm pretty good doing things the way I do it, and I can get the job done at the NFL level. There's just needs to be st- like a level where he stops comparing himself to other people, how other people play, how other people formulate opinions about him, and just do your your own thing. Figure out how you can be the best person off the field and the best person on the field. And I don't have that answer from the off the field stuff that how his mind ticks, how his body ticks. He's got to figure out a happiness that I can't you and I can't figure out for him. But the on the field stuff goes with it, too, where he has to figure out the best way he can play football at the NFL level to accentuate the positives that he has and stop really trying to to, to sort of uh, improve on the on the things he's not really good at at that level. So that's a part of it to me 
that self-awareness stuff that I've been talking about all off season that has to get sorted out from both on and off the field. Yeah. I, and I agree with you there. Like, here's the thing, here's what's, I think tricky is, you know, like I made the comment that like, I, I think it's, I would imagine again, I would imagine I'm imagining that this has had a pretty extreme mental toll on him. And I, and I don't even know if I'm imagining, cause I think he has said this is the hardest season he's ever been through and that this has been really hard on him. Right. But, but, and that can be true. And I can have all the empathy for that in the world. But what I think we watched him do towards the end of the season, and like, listen, I don't blame him for this. This is like a pretty typical coping mechanism for people who are feeling really badly, right? We don't want to have to look at ourselves and say, maybe I'm the key to this, right? Because that can be, that can hurt and that can be hard because, because in order to do that, we have to say, how did I contribute to this, right? Yeah. And, and that can be really painful when you're already in pain. I think a lot of times it is easier, particularly when we're already hurting, to kind of like self-protect and then to like project blame out onto other people. And I definitely think we started to see that from him, you know, particularly at the very end of the season. Yeah. Um, and particularly towards maybe like some of the coaching decisions that were made, right? And like whatever listen if that was just end of the season frustration and he gets it out of his system and then then that's fine whatever like we've all been there but he had but that can't be perpetual because if you become the victim of the situation and everything is everyone else's fault you don't you don't do the thing that you're talking about Jake you don't self reflect and you don't figure out how you can be the best version of yourself and you don't get better. Mm -hmm. And like the number one thing that he's going to have to be able to figure out how to do is say, and and that's, he also doesn't have to turn around and say like, no one else contributed to this, right? <laughs> like sure. he, like if he, he's allowed to still think, right? Like, Hey, act per, you know, I wish coach Stefanski had done this a little differently. You know, I wish circumstances just hadn't been what they were. And like, we didn't lose like Chris Hubbard, like, you know, at the very beginning of the season. And therefore I had no backup tackle and like Wills and Conklin were out a ton and it didn't go well, you know, in that regard, like you can acknowledge the reality of things that were hard and things you would have, you would have um, preferred to go differently, but you also have to acknowledge at some point that those things aren't within your control and certain things are always going to be outside of your control. And the only thing that is 100% within your control is you. And so that is where he is going to have to make a decision of what is within my control to be the, the quarterback that I think people are doubting, but I think I can believe, I, I believe I can be, I think I can be. If that becomes, like if he turns off social media, and focuses on that, you can get me excited again for the start of next season and seeing what that looks like. I just, I hope that he's able to do that. Yeah, me too. I, I use the equation that like, Hey man, it's it, maybe you, you eventually, by the time you get to 27, 28, 29, you realize your dream is different, right? When you're taking number one, I think some of the elements here is, is, um, 
with Baker is you, you, you think you walk on water, not, not for calling him wrong for that, that, that like you're taken first overall, you win a Heisman trophy in college. Like you're on top of the world. You think you're about to be the next greatest thing in the NFL. And I think some of that happened with Baker after his first year into his second year that he had it figured out. And then the NFL, like I said, it humbles you sooner or later. And it's how do you respond? And I think there's a level of Baker that is probably looking at the Herberts, the, uh, you know, what, what's going on with, with Allen and Mahomes. And you're saying, okay, I, I think you need to accept that you're not going to be the Michael Jordan of this league, but guys like, uh, like Clyde Drexler have great careers and there's a fulfillment to that, right? Like you can still have a really great career not being the best of the best and just carving a nice niche doing what you do well in a place that if you play well enough over long periods of time will adore you. There's a fulfillment to that. Maybe you again, you came into the NFL thinking you were going to solve it and be the greatest to ever do it, which I totally understand where he was coming from, but can you get to the acceptance of, all right, I can't do these hero things other guys are doing, but I can do enough really good things that actually does keep me around this league a long time and does help benefit the Cleveland Browns uh, organization and helps us stabilize the spot in the quarterback position and all that. And I think that's where I'm at with him. Can he come to that self uh, reflection spot and, and find a good version of himself there? Right. Cause I think you can go forward with that version. Yeah. Listen, like if Baker Mayfield is not the Michael Jordan um, but he's the Mark Price. Nice. Cleveland well will done. love him just as much as yeah. they love Mark Price. And and let me say this: the difference is, I don't, I don't necessarily think that I'm very different to how that played out with Mark Price and Michael Jordan, right? Where like Michael Jordan was always in the way. Like that's not really how the NFL works necessarily. And so I don't actually think it being the Mark Price means that you still couldn't get to a Super Bowl, right? Of course not. You could have a nice career for sure. Yeah. Well, and I will also say this, like you don't have to be the Josh Allen or the Pat Mahomes of your generation. Like I'm going to, I don't know, this might be controversial, but like Tom Brady has nowhere near the arm talent that Aaron Rodgers has. Thank you, God. Somebody else says it. And I like, say it all the time. And yet Tom Brady has won way more Super Bowls than Aaron Rodgers has. So like, <laughs> why why does he have to be Josh Allen? I don't need him to be, I don't need him to be the size of Josh Allen. I don't need, first of all, he actually has a way bigger arm than people give him credit for anyway. So like, mm-hmm. I'm not worried actually about how far Baker can throw the ball. I don't actually think that's an issue. Um, but like, you know, like I don't need him to be able to sidearm the ball the way Patrick Mahomes can I don't need him to be as giant as Josh Allen is like we have seen you know Drew Brees was never a giant Tom Brady does not throw the ball the way that Aaron Rodgers throws the ball they are still two of the goats of the NFL of like literally all time and that's not to say that I necessarily uh, whenever you bring up Tom Brady people are like I can't believe you're comparing anyone to Tom Brady I'm not comparing Baker to Tom Brady what I'm trying to say is to your point, Jake, like he does not have to be those guys. In fact, he can be equally as successful from an outcome standpoint, right? Like a winning standpoint without ever having to be those guys. And so, you know, yeah, I agree. Like I really pray for him and like hope for him that he can get himself in the right headspace 
focused on what is actually within his control, not because I want him to like stop being or or having a personality that like I don't particularly prefer because I don't really care about that. Like, I really want him to do these things because I, I, I want Cleveland and him to win football games together for a long time. Yeah, me, I'm with you. And and the notion out there today I see is, well, there's going to be a lot of people really mad when Baker bounces back and has this. And I'm like, no, not a single soul will be mad if Baker Mayfield figures it out and ends up having a great career in Cleveland and playing really well. Not a single person, okay? Because everyone who's a follower of the Cleveland Browns just wants to freaking win. That's it. And it doesn't matter. They're looking at other options at positions and quarterback included because they try. Everyone's trying to solve why the Browns didn't make the playoffs and what the ceiling is. That's all anyone's. It's not personal. It's not personal. People are just trying to solve ways to win. And if you can go out and play better and win football games, you're going to continue to sell jerseys and you're going to continue to turn those doubters into believers. It's pretty simple stuff. Nicole, this was a ton, a ton of fun. We went 43 minutes. I didn't know how long this would go, but I thought it. I thought it went really well. I thought there's a lot to unpack with him mentally, and I wanted to really dive into that side of it, less the play, more the person. And I think we covered it well. So I'm sure everybody listening today really enjoyed it, and I want to thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks. This is a whole lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I hope we can walk away from this and say, and you know, and say we can be optimistic without being unrealistic. I like that. Optimistic without unrealistic. Good stuff. I appreciate you again. Thanks, Jake. Once again, guys, thanks for joining today's show, supporting the OBR as only you can and do. We appreciate it so, so much. I appreciate the love for this podcast as we've turned the corner and the viewership. Listeners have not dropped off at all, even after a tough season's come to an end. Thank you again to Nicole for joining the show. I think she did a great job taking a look at Mayfield from a different lens than I do. Hopefully added some perspective for us. I appreciate her taking her time and everybody else this week. It's been a fun week. We still have one more good episode as we wrap up quarterback week over the weekend. Should be uh, a nice bow on this whole thing. And I promise I am not talking about Mayfield unless some big news comes out uh, that there is something shaking out or some big decision or whatever. I've covered it in article form. You should know my opinion by now. I don't think we have to keep rehashing it. Uh, But again, had to give it the attention it deserved because it's a huge decision looming heading into next year that, you know, could could swing a lot of uh, future events for the Cleveland Browns. So did the best I could with it. We'll go to running back week next week. Spotty episodes next week because I will be out uh, on vacation, but I'm going to try to pre-record some things and have several different ones for the week. But nothing will be really like day of modern. So... Uh, that'll that'll be a little bit different twist. But thanks for joining today, guys. Have a great Friday. And as you kick off your weekend, have a great weekend. Uh, thanks again for your supporting the OBR. Thanks to Nicole for joining the show. And go Browns. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off. 
at MVMT.com.